Okay, so I'm going to continue teaching in what I call our Christian survival kit. Chapel, I talked about the first step is don't panic, believe. You got to grab control of your emotions. If you let your emotions run away, it's very difficult to ever get back into a position of faith. And then in the second hour, you missed this teaching, but it was really good. I taught from John 14, 2 and 3, where Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And the point that I was making, I'm not going to go back and teach all of this, but uh, it's important that you get this in sequence. I think that these are steps that you have to do in a proper sequence. First thing, you got to not panic, but you got to believe. The second thing is you have to put things into perspective. And I think that's what he was talking about. Most people, from a human perspective, when we see things and a person dies, it's like, it's over. That's the end. But it's not the end. You know, that's just what, that's the way that we see it from these limited viewpoint that we have. But man, Jesus was saying, I'm not dead. I'm going to be with the Father. And he wanted them to put things into perspective. And this helps you grab control of your emotions. That was really a great teaching. You missed a great teaching. It was awesome. But anyway, the next thing, after he talked about that in John chapter 14 and in verse 4, Jesus said, And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest, and how can we know the way? Let me give you a clue here. This will really, really, really help you. When Jesus says you know something, don't tell him, I don't know anything. You know, when the Lord says something, don't counter by saying, oh, no, that's not true. This is true. He said, whether I go, you know, in the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. If we don't know how you're going, how do we know how to get there? Not smart. Not smart. You know, it's okay sometimes to say, Father, I'm not going to deny your word or I'm not going to disagree with you, but I don't understand. Could you explain something to me? That's okay to ask for explanation. But when the Lord says you're healed, you say, I'm not healed. Here's doctor's report proves I'm not healed. You missed it. Dumb. Dumb. Just don't do things like that. This is what Thomas did. He says, whether I go, you know, in the way, you know. And he says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know? You know, these are the guys that he had spent three and a half years with. He had educated them, lived with them day and night. He was less than 24 hours away from being crucified and turning this thing over to them. Three and a half years. And he's about to leave. And he says, you know where I'm going? They say, duh. We don't know. We don't know anything. Three and a half years. And these guys that were going to be the leaders of the church didn't have a clue what he was talking about. You know what? That could have discouraged Jesus if he would have been just (laughs) susceptible to that. That would be like me spending two or three years with you guys in school, pouring my life into you, and at the end of school saying, so what have you learned? Uh, Nothing. Uh, You know what? That would be really discouraging. That would really be discouraging. So he says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now see, the disciples knew Jesus. They just didn't know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. They didn't. They knew Jesus after the flesh. Paul said this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I believe it's about verse 15 or 16. He says, we know no man after the flesh. At one time we knew Jesus after the flesh, but now henceforth know we him no more. That's just old English way for saying at one time we knew Jesus in the physical realm, but we now know people by the Spirit. 
And so these people knew Jesus, but they really didn't recognize who he was. They didn't recognize that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. You know, there's some wonderful things in that verse. I'm not going to preach on that this morning, but this is a pivotal doctrine in the body of Christ, and that is that Jesus isn't a way, a truth, or a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus isn't just another way to the Father. And you know, like the Hindus have a way to God and the Buddhists have a way to God and everybody, we're all seeking the same God. They're just different paths. That's not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. This is what all of Christianity hinges on. See, a lot of people think that just because you call yourself Christian and stuff that you're a Christian, that's not so. Jesus made a huge difference. Jehovah Witnesses, see, do not believe that Jesus is Jehovah. They believe that he was an angel. I think they're the ones that said he was Michael the Archangel. And so if if Jesus is just a man, well, then he is not the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus claimed all of these things for himself. He said this. And so all of Christianity hinges on this. And there is a huge difference between a person who just believes that there's a God and then is trusting that They're going to be accepted because they've lived a good life and a person who comes to God through Jesus. Huge difference. So anyway, we can make a big deal out of that. But the point I'm wanting you to see is that Jesus told his disciples, he says, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And they said, no, we don't know. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And then in verse 7, he says, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Now look at this in verse 7. He says, If you had known me, you had known my father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Jesus just said, You have seen the Father. And this time Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. He just said, You've seen the Father. Philip says, Man, show us the Father. Like, well, we hadn't seen him yet, but show him to us and we'll be satisfied. You know, it's amazing. You read things like this and think, how dumb can those people get and still breathe? But you know what? We do the exact same thing. The Bible says that you are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And then we say, oh God, just bless us. He just said you were blessed. And here you are asking him to bless you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And we say, oh God, come and be with us. Oh, Lord, go with us as we leave this place. And he just said he'd be with us forever. We do the exact same thing. Patsy? No, I'm just traveling mercy. You know, pray, Lord, give me traveling mercy. Yeah, and he said that he'd never leave you nor forsake you, that he's always with you. And it just, so anyway, we do the same thing, but this is stupid. This is dumb to the second power. Dumb, dumb. And so he says, from henceforth you have seen him. And Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us. Boy, there's so many things. I've got a lot of different teaching on this, and I just have to make honorable mention of this. I won't spend the whole time on it. But, you know, here's another thing that you can say from this is that they weren't satisfied with Jesus. Most of us have probably thought at one time or another, wouldn't it have been wonderful to have been a physical disciple of Jesus when he was here on this earth and have seen him raise the dead and walk on water and multiply the food and... Wouldn't it have been awesome to hear his messages? And we think, wouldn't that have been great? Here's the disciples that spent three and a half years with him. And they said, Lord, we aren't satisfied with you. But if we could see the Father, we'll be satisfied. 
You know, this reveals something about human nature, carnal flesh. And that is that you can't satisfy things except through faith. They didn't know who Jesus really was. They knew Him after the flesh, but they didn't know Him in the Spirit. They didn't know Him by faith. They knew Him by sight. They had a privilege that, you know, very few people in the history of the world have ever had, and that's to see God in physical flesh walking and talking and doing miracles, and yet they weren't satisfied. They thought, oh, we need something more. If you aren't satisfied with Jesus, you're just hard to satisfy. And yet they weren't satisfied. And so we think, oh, if I could have been there when Jesus was walking the earth. You know what? What we have now is better than Jesus walking this physical earth. In the 16th chapter, he says, it is more needful for you that I go away. Did you know that you can know God better through the Spirit, by faith, than the disciples knew Jesus when he was here on this earth? They didn't. They, In a way, it was actually harder for them. Because they had this physical thing that they had to deal with. His physical body. And some people think, oh, that would have been wonderful. No, it would have been hard. It would have been hard to look at a man. And you know, today we picture Jesus and we see pictures of him with a halo around him and always, you know, looking these ways. But when you were walking with Jesus, he was smelly. You could smell him coming. They didn't have holiday inns that you stayed in. And I guarantee you, in that hot Judean sun, and they walked 20 and 30 miles a day, and they didn't wear clean clothes every day. They didn't take two or three uh, suitcases with them and change clothes and take a shower and wash his hair every day. His hair was matted. I imagine you could smell him coming. I don't know if any of you have ever been over to some of these foreign countries, but especially the Middle East. Boy, if you get on a bus with those people, it's nearly overwhelming. They don't take baths every day the way Americans do. And uh, I tell you what, it, it gets a little rank. And so here you are looking at a person that you could smell coming. His hair's messed up. He's just as natural looking as any man in this room. And you look at him and think, you're God. Everything in the physical. All of your senses are telling you, no, this is a man. He gets tired, hungry, has to go to the bathroom just like anybody else. Everything about him is physical. Did you know that the disciples actually had it worse than you and I have it? Because we can close our eyes and picture Jesus seated at the Father's right hand. We can read Scripture, see Him walking on the sea. We can picture Him however we want to. The Holy Spirit will reveal Him and reveal His true nature and character. They had to deal with that physical body that was just as physical as any of our bodies. And it was actually a hindrance to them believing. They were dissatisfied with that. If they could have seen heavens opened up and if they would have seen a throne and Jesus and God the Father sitting on the throne and lightnings and thunders and, and seraphims and cherubims flying around, then they think, oh, that would have satisfied me. But they weren't satisfied with Jesus in the flesh. That's amazing. And Jesus answered and said unto them, He says, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Boy, here's an amazing statement. When Jesus was saying, You know the way, and you know how to get there, He was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so because you know me, you know the way. And then He says, And you have seen the Father. They thought that somehow or another he was talking about showing them something than what they had seen. But 
When they had looked at Jesus, they had looked on God. Now, His physical body was physical, but it, it wasn't sinful. It wasn't corrupted, but it was physical. But in the spirit realm, He was God, manifest in the flesh. And they didn't know Him really in the spirit. They knew Him in the physical realm. They missed the real treasure. They really didn't recognize Jesus for who He truly was. And so here's my point in bringing all of this up. When you come into a crisis situation, the very first thing you have to do is not panic. You have to believe. You have to get into faith. You have to put things into perspective. You need to remember the faithfulness of God in the past and recognize you've already seen greater things than what you're challenged with right now. Or you go get a testimony from somebody else. Or you go to the Bible and see where God raised the dead and did things and you put it into perspective. If you can't find anything or if that isn't sufficient, then look forward to heaven and think about, you know, it's just a brief period of time. You put all of this stuff into perspective. It helps you to deal with this crisis. But then the next thing you need to do is you need to go back to just knowing God, knowing who He is, recognizing what you've got. And here's a, here's a parallel, and this is one of the things that I do in a crisis situation. I recognize that this isn't just a book. It is a book, but it isn't just a book. It's a living word. It's alive. You know, I could tear a page out of this Bible. And it doesn't change the Bible. It doesn't affect it at all. But the spirit that is behind these words, this is spirit and it is life. John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And when I get into a crisis situation, I recognize that God has given us the word. And by these, it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, you might be partakers of the divine nature through these exceeding great and precious promises and escape the world, uh, the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, I don't know how to, I don't even know how to say these things properly, but the Word is God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Not these physical pages, but the Spirit, the truth revealed in here. This is God. And there's many people that miss this. They look at this and you know, I've had people come to me before with their Bible under their arm and says, do you have a word for me? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, about a million right there. Amen. Oh, no, I want something specific. You know what you're saying is, I'm not satisfied with the promise that says, by my stripes you are healed. I want a rhema word. I want a special word. I want something special. You know what you're doing? You're doing the exact same thing that the disciples did right here. Because... God was in a human form and wrapped in physical flesh. They didn't perceive what they really had. And yet Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And they said, oh, show us the Father. They weren't satisfied with Jesus' representation. They wanted something else. And you know, likewise, there's a lot of people that aren't satisfied with the Word of God. They want something else. They want an audible voice. They want an angel to come. They want a handwriting. And they want something special. But I'm telling you that... The Word of God is God speaking to you. The Word of God is God-breathed. It has supernatural life in it. And even before I get into a crisis, I try and maintain this attitude, but I guarantee you if I'm in a crisis situation, I can guarantee you one of the things I'm going to do is separate myself and stick my nose in the Word, and I'm going to go back to reminding myself of truths and getting these truths that God has spoken to me through the Word functioning and operating in my life. 
And I think that this is one of the problems that people have when they come into a crisis situation. They go and get the opinion of the doctor. They go to the banker. They go to their friends. They go and ask everybody else's opinion. But what does God have to say? There is a promise. There is a word of God for any situation that you can possibly face. And before a crisis situation, you should be into the Word. But especially in a crisis situation, you ought to be taking the Word of God and looking and letting God bring these words alive to you. You know, if you have sickness in your body, the Scripture says over in Proverbs chapter 4 that God's Word is health unto all of your flesh and life unto them that find Him. Psalms 107 verse 20, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all of their destruction. Man, the Word of God brings health. It brings healing. In, in Matthew chapter 8, the centurion said, Speak the Word only, and my servant shall be healed. And, the, and Jesus marveled and said, I've never seen this kind of faith. I've never seen such great faith. And it was a person who trusted in the Word. God has given us His Word. And when you're in a crisis situation, one of the things you ought to be doing is taking this Word and honoring it and esteeming it and recognizing that this is the seed that God is going to use to bring deliverance to you. You need to be planting this seed in your heart. And again, there's a, there's a balance to this. You can't wait until a crisis situation to plant your seed because you may have to have an answer within the next week and it may be a year before you see the harvest. You need to be doing this on a constant basis. But if you haven't done it before, at the very least in a crisis situation, you ought to be going to the Word of God and looking and asking God for something. And I can't tell you how many times God has spoken to me supernaturally. I mean supernaturally through Scripture. I've been in some crisis situation and I'm trying to believe God. I'm not letting my heart be troubled. I'm trying to get everything into perspective. And I take the Word of God and God speaks to me through this Scripture. And I have had tremendous, tremendous things happening in my life just because of the Word of God. And so these disciples were missing who Jesus really was because of the package that it was wrapped in, that physical body. Many of you don't really fully understand and appreciate the Word of God because it's in some tangible form here and mind's all beat up and everything and you just don't esteem it and honor it. But the words, the truths that are contained in this Scripture, you need to recognize this is your lifeline. This is the greatest gift that God has ever given us outside of Jesus and what He did is the revelation of all of this and these truths reveal. You know, if we really believe that, if you really believe that, of course, in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir here because you do believe that. You came to Bible school. But you know what? If we really believe the things that I'm saying right here, I guarantee you we would put such a greater emphasis on knowing the Word of God, seeking the Word, putting it first in our, in our life. And there's so many people that go days, weeks, months, years without ever cracking the Bible open, without knowing it. I, t- I tell you, it's just totally ineffective to say that the Bible says somewhere. Man, you need to know what the Bible says. You need to know where the address is. You need to be able to find that. You need to have it in your heart so that you don't have to say that the Bible says somewhere. But you can quote it. It's in your heart. It needs to be alive on the inside of you. And so one of the things that happens in a crisis situation, these disciples should have recognized who Jesus was. It, it really all comes back to relationship. You know, I've said this a million times. Well, probably, that's probably an exaggeration, but I bet you a thousand times. 
I've said this in our Bible college here, that it all comes back to relationship. It's not just formulas. It's not just all of these seven steps that you hear people talk about. It really comes back to relationship. So here's Jesus trying to get his disciples not to panic between the resurrection and the crucifixion. And he's saying, don't panic, believe, put things into perspective. And then he starts talking about, you know me. You know, trust me, believe in me. And it really does come back to relationship. If you are struggling, if you are panicking, I can guarantee you somehow or another, you do not really, you aren't walking in fellowship and in relationship with God. Does everybody get that? Again, I'm at a loss sometimes how to explain all of these things. But let's, let's use a physical example. Let's say that I told you that I'm going to take care of you, that I won't let anything happen. Let's say that somebody, you know, I, I just heard that we've got everybody's tuition paid, I think, except maybe some people that were 15 days or something, but nobody who's in crisis and, and stuff. We've got, with these offerings and stuff, we've paid all of the tuition except just minor things. But let's say that somebody was in a crisis situation and they weren't going to make it. And, you know, here I come along as the president of the Bible college and I say, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. We aren't going to let you uh, miss out. We're going to take care of it. And if I told you that, but then every day you came up, have you done anything? Have you, have you taken care of it? Are you sure you're going to take care of this? And if you were constantly battling over this, then you could, you could say a lot of things about that, but the bottom line is, you know, you don't really trust me. You don't really believe that my word is true. And if you had to come badger me in every day, have you done anything about it? I just want to make sure. You know what? You don't really trust me. You don't really have faith in me. And likewise, when we have to go to God and constantly pray over and over, oh God, I need to be healed, and you're just badgering God, you can look at a lot of things, but the bottom line is you don't really trust God. Your relationship with God is deficient. You know, it'd be similar to, if you remember your little kids, you try and get them to jump into a pool or something, and you know, just your natural self. You don't want to go under the water. This doesn't make sense. But here's your dad or something saying, jump, I'll catch you. Now, is that kid, do they really trust you? Are they going to jump and take your word and put their life in your hands? Or are they going to sit there and lean to their own understanding and say, you know what, I'm not sure you're going to trust, catch me. I don't trust you. It all comes back to relationship. When you're in a crisis situation, if you're struggling with unbelief, you can say it lots of different ways, but the bottom line is that, you know what, you really, your relationship with God is deficient. You don't know God. You can go back to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, the reason they entered into this sin was because they really didn't know God. And they meant with Him. Here they were living in perfection. They had never sinned. God talked with them in the cool of the evening and yet a talking snake was able to discredit God and convince them that God didn't love them and that God didn't have their own best interest in mind, that He was actually holding something back, that God wasn't a good God. You know, you can say a lot of things, but the bottom line, if you reduce it to its simplest terms, they didn't really know God. They didn't really know that He was a good God. They doubted the goodness of God. It goes back to relationship. Their relationship with God wasn't as strong as it should be. And you can sit there and criticize them, but actually we are more responsible than Adam and Eve are. Because Adam and Eve, they, had never, they never had the thought that God loved them so much 
that if they sinned, he literally would become a man and come to this earth and live for 30 years limited to a physical body, suffer all of the things that you and I suffer, the rebuke, pain, suffering, die for our sins, and resurrect again. They didn't have that knowledge. So it was actually more excusable for Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness of God because they had never seen a demonstration of God's goodness. You and I have seen God demonstrate His love for us in the sense that He sent His own Son and died for us and did this, and yet we still struggle with, God, are you going to heal me? God, are you going to meet this need? God, can I really count on you after He's done all of this? You know, it really just comes down to the fact that we haven't meditated on those things. We haven't focused on it. We aren't in fellowship and in relationship with God. If you are struggling with unbelief, you're struggling in your relationship with God. You don't know God. God is 100% trustworthy. And you know, this is one of the things that happened in my life when I had this experience in 1968. I just knew God was a good God. I knew that God was holy and that I was unholy. I saw my relative unworthiness. I expected judgment because that's what I was told. That's what I'd been taught. But instead of judgment, God poured His love out on on me and I experienced a tangible love that just totally transformed me and I knew that I knew that I knew that God is a good God. And you know, that's just a foundation thing in my life. I evaluate everything based on what I know about God. It's about, I know Him. And because I know Him, I can tell you when somebody is telling me God said this, or God did this, or God's leading me to do this, I can tell you whether that stuff is right or not because I know God. I know how He acts. And it's because of my personal relationship that I have that kind of a confidence with Him. You know, I know Jamie in the scriptural sense of the word. I mean, I know her. And we have a close relationship. And if you were to come up and start slandering Jamie and saying, she's done this and she's done this and she's done this, I could tell you without even talking to Jamie and without getting her side of the story, I could tell you whether she was even capable of those things or not because I know her. If you came to me and started saying things about her that are just totally you know, off the charts. I don't care what kind of proof you could offer. I don't care what you'd say. I know Jamie and I know how she'll act. And because of that, I could just overcome a lot of your criticism, a lot of your slander, because I know her. And I know what she's capable of. And it's the same thing with God. There's so many people that don't have a personal, intimate relationship with God. They only know about God from somebody else telling them about Him. But they don't have that personal relationship. And I honestly just don't know how you function. You know, the Word of God is important to me, but the Word of God is important because it reveals God's true nature and it leads me into relationship with Him. It is not just... I don't run my life based on just scriptures or words. But these things reveal God to me, and because of that, it's my relationship with God that dictates everything. I know how God acts. You know, I've used this example before, but when the Y2K thing came along, I went on the record two years before that telling people, this isn't God. And it wasn't because I had a special word from God and God told me something specific. It was because I knew that the way that the Christian community was presenting this 
and stuff. They were using fear to motivate people. They were telling people to buy guns and kill people if they tried to get your stash of food. Man, that's not the way God would tell anybody to do things. And I actually had a friend in Chicago that sold a year's worth of food and guns in his church so that you could protect yourself because it was going to be the end of the world and all this stuff. And you know what? That's not the way that God is. That's just, that's inconsistent with Scripture. And so because I knew God, even though I didn't have a specific word and the Lord didn't say anything specifically to to me, I knew this was inconsistent with His nature, the way that the people were marketing it and the fear that they were marketing and all of these kind of things. Man, God doesn't ever lead you through fear. It's the love of God that constrains you. And so because of these things that I knew about God, I was able to go on the record two years in advance saying this isn't God. This is the devil. It's manipulating people through fear. And you know what? It panned out to be right. And it was true. But the way that I learned that is because I knew God. And I believe that this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Here they are entering into a crisis situation and he says, Guys, trust me. Don't you know me? Have I ever led you astray? Have I ever done these things? He's drawing them back into relationship. When you come into a crisis situation, you need to draw back to the absolutes that you know about God. You know, if you've been studying existentialism or who knows whatever, all of these things that people get into and all of these weird things... uh, You know, there may be some place for studying that stuff, but basically I just stick with basics. It all is about my personal relationship with God. And when when the pressure's on, you know what I do? I just go back and run to my relationship with God and I go back to the foundational things. Father, I know that you love me and I know you love me independent of what I deserve. And I start rehearsing and I go back basically to what Jesus is saying right here. You know me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I just go back to the Word. I go back to my relationship with God. And that's what you've got to do in a crisis situation. That's really simple. And yet it's amazing how many people don't do that. It's amazing how many people that are under pressure will run and they panic and they start trying to grab for whatever. You need to go back into your personal relationship with God. That's the foundation of everything. That's what keeps you afloat. Amen? And I believe that that's what he's talking about right here. In verse 10, he says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you? I speak not of myself, but the Father which dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Man, that's powerful. He says, Don't you believe that when I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking under the inspiration of God? And it's the same thing. When you read the Word, this is God speaking to you directly. It is not just other men who wrote and are talking about God. If you receive it with the right heart, this is God talking specifically to you. Amen? I don't know if I shared with you all, I think I have, about how the Lord used Jeremiah chapter 1, the night that He called me and told me He had anointed me and He put His words in my mouth. But I guarantee you those verses have changed my life. Those were spoken to Jeremiah thousands of years ago. But you know what? God spoke those words to me. Those are mine. And some of you might think, oh, you just say that God spoke them to you. You thought of that. And, you, you know, you can explain this way if you want to. But I guarantee you God spoke to me. That night, March the 23rd, 1968, my best friend was there. And you know what? He heard everything that I heard on the outside 
It touched his life for a brief period of time, but after things got a little tough, did you know he's rejected the whole thing? I've talked to him, and he says, oh, all that stuff was just emotionalism. There was nothing to it. That wasn't God. That was just us. He was there, and yet he rejected it. To me, it's still real in my life. You can explain things away. You can sit there and get to where these just become words on a page to you, or you can approach it as this is God speaking directly to you. And I tell you, you've got to personalize the Word of God. It's got to be that this isn't a book about God that somebody else, this isn't their opinion. This is the reason that I'm so adamant when people start criticizing the Word of God and saying it's mistranslated and all of these different things. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I've dealt with that personally. And you know what? I believe that Paul wrote the book of Galatians on just one letter of a word, seed, singular, instead of seeds, plural, That's what the whole book of Galatians is written about. I believe you can trust the word down to the last, whether it's plural or whether it's singular. I believe in all of it. I believe in the jots and the tittles. I believe in the maps that are in the back. I believe in all of it, amen. I don't believe that this is something that is subject to man and that you've got to have uh, two or three degrees to be able to find out what the truth really is in the Bible. You know what? This is the word of God and it speaks to me. And you can't compromise on that. This isn't just a representation, a vague representation that's got flaws in it. This is the actual Word of God speaking to us. And man, if you doubt that, well, then that's very similar to these disciples saying, oh, well, Jesus, we know you, but you aren't enough. We need something more. If we could see the Father, then we'd be satisfied. You know, you need to get to where this is sufficient. This is sufficient. You don't have to have something more than this. Man, you're looking for a word. Look in here and just let God make these truths come alive to you and have that word work in your life. And you know, if you would follow, these are just three little steps that I've talked about from from these few verses. Don't panic, believe, put everything into perspective. Recognize what you've got. Recognize that God is speaking to you through the word of God. Put an importance on it. If you could do that, Did you know that usually you don't have to go any further than that before you break into victory and see whatever the situation is come to pass? If you'd go back, like when sickness hits your body, and go back and say, Father, what what does your word say? What have you said to me? And you go back and study the word, by his stripes you were healed, that he wishes above all things that you prosper and be in health. You just start taking the word of God and going back through and using that word to overcome your doubts and fears. Man, if we would do that correctly, you wouldn't have to go very far before you'd start seeing the supernatural deliverance that you're believing for. Amen? That's awesome. That's awesome. And yet many of us, really, it just comes down to the fact that we really don't trust and believe and commit ourselves to the Word of God. That's easier to say than it is to live. But you've got to get to where the Word of God is absolute authority in your life. It's absolute. It controls you. It dominates you. Here's a way that you can kind of judge that. You know, if, if you know that the Scripture says, by his stripes you're healed, and yet a doctor says, you aren't healed, you're dying, which one controls your thoughts more? Does what the doctor say dominate your thoughts, cause more fear in you than the Word of God causes faith in you? If it does, then you, you might sit here and intellectually say, oh, I believe the Word of God above the Word of a doctor, but which one's impacted you the most? It's just that simple. 
Which one really impacts you? You can tell by your reaction. What is it that you focus your attention on? The Lord says that you can do all things. Your parents or somebody else or your husband or your wife or your boss or somebody says you're a dud. You're a failure. It's not going to work. Which one impacts you the most? What God says about you or what somebody else has said about you? You can look in your life and tell what's really impacting you. Amen? And I'm not saying these things to condemn you, but I am saying that you've got to confront this. And I really believe that this is one of the major reasons that we fail in a crisis situation is because we just really don't believe the Word of God. It's that simple. If you believe it, you'll base your life on it. You're willing to go to the wall with it. Amen? Praise God. Isn't that good? That's all I got to say about that. Anybody else got a question or comment on this? Yes, sir. Three is you have to rec- you have to recognize God or relationship with God. I guess would be the best way of saying it. In the disciples' case, it was relationship with Jesus personally. With us, it's relationship with God through the revealed Word. We have to recognize that the Word of God is there. Anybody else? Everybody got this? Oh, excuse me. No, I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> um, you don't get it? No, let me ask. But you like if I feel that I don't have a very good relationship with God sometimes, like right now. So, I mean, where do I start? You know. What I mean, where do I start from here right well, now? Well, let me ask you this. Why do you feel like you don't have a very good relationship with God? Because these things that you're saying about, uh, I just don't feel like I know him. Uh, like what he's going to do. Um, you know, it's kinda So hard. do you have fear? Do you have discouragement and things like this? Well, those things are indications that you aren't really trusting God. Mm-hmm. And so what you've got to do is analyze why is it that you don't trust God. And um, I think that there could be multiple reasons for that. I don't know that it's going to be a one, one size for every single person. But it comes down to these basic things. If you would go to the Word of God, you know, the very first thing that I taught in this class was uh, the integrity of the Word, a sure foundation. And the reason I did that is because if you don't believe the Word, everything I believe is based on what the Word of God has to say. And the Word of God teaches us that if God loved you enough that He died for you much more, now He will save you through these things. And there are just so many things. And so this Word reveals that God loves you. And so... Uh, what you've got to do is go back to these scriptures and start ministering this to yourself and saying, Father, I know that according to your word that you love me and you just start meditating on this and focusing on it. And if you continue to do that, if you don't deviate from what the word of God says, the scripture says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If all you do is think about God's love for you and his provision and you see how he provided for other people and how he promised that he's no respecter of persons, he'll do the same for you. If you stay focused on that, Uh, eventually you will be like the way you think in your heart. And so if the Word of God and these truths aren't changing your perception of God and increasing your relationship with God, it's because somewhere or another you're coming in and short-circuiting them by thinking other thoughts. You've allowed, and it could be based on your background, you could have had negative experiences, you could have had people criticize you or something, and you just got a terrible opinion that how could God love me 
you are allowing those thoughts to surface instead of just focusing on what the Word says. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. But this is the way I do it. I just take the Word of God and meditate on it. And if what I am feeling in my heart is contrary to what God's Word says, then I'll go back and keep focusing on God's Word and keep saying it until eventually I experience it. And I've had a lot of people basically say the same thing, that, you know, they just stood on this and at one time they didn't feel it in their heart, but they knew it with their head and they just kept focusing on it and saying it and basing their life on it. And eventually they have this um, experience where it just becomes real to them. They experience it and after that time they know it. Um, last night my, my daughter Anna Texas, and she says, Mom, God doesn't hear me. And I said... Um, you know, honey, it's not that you know that he does hear you, but you want microwave instant. I said, you know, you've had these boyfriends, and, you know, you get their numbers, and you text them, and you call them, and you question them, you know, where are you, and when are you coming over? I said, the same energy that you put into those relationships that are negative. I said, the Lord says, call unto me in the time of trouble, and I will answer you. I said, start texting the Lord. Start calling him as much energy as you do for these guys. I said, start building that relationship with God. I said, and you watch. I said, if honey, I said, it's been 18 years. And my condition when I got saved was worse than what you are. And I said, if he was not faithful and he didn't answer me in my time of trouble, I would not be serving him. When I was single as a Christian, I would get like, guys, hey, what's your number? And I used to say, my number is Jeremiah 33.3. I'd give him God's number. Call on to him and he will answer you and show you great and mighty things. You know, but that's what I had to do. I had to begin dialing phone numbers in the, in the Word, you know, getting scriptures and just calling and calling. I knew that I needed what was inside that Bible, whether I understood it or not. And it took months and it took weeks and it took even years for me to get to where I am now. Like yourself, God, I know that's not God. Don't tell me that I'm ugly because I ain't. You know, well, but, see, you can express the things that you're describing in a lot of different ways. But the way yeah. I would say that is, you could talk about that you had a commitment, you had a zeal, you persevered. There's all kinds of words. But the way I would describe it is, you believed, whereas your daughter doesn't. You believe that if you call, he will answer you. It may not be instantaneous, but you just seek until you find. Whereas your daughter, she prayed and didn't get anything that was obvious, and so she just disbelieves that the word is well, true. You know, what happened is... She was, when I got born again, she was five. And she ran to the altars. By eight, she was filled with the Holy Ghost. But again, she was the one that was raped at 12. So she was deceived. And ever since then, she's, but this, there, there is a living seed in her, but she's allowed it to be consumed by but this. But see, nature. circumstances so, yeah. like getting raped, will, uh, Satan will pray on that and say, see, God didn't love you. He didn't protect right. you. God wasn't there for you. And that's not true. God doesn't control everything like that. But so, because of a misunderstanding, she has believed a lie. And she is more dominated by the negative things than she is by the promises of God. It really comes down to unbelief. If you aren't having a relationship with God, you don't believe what the Word says. Because the Word says He loves you. He died for you. He is a good God. And um, if a person isn't experiencing that, it's because of unbelief. And the way you counter unbelief is by getting in the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. And you're going to have to get into the Word and meditate on it until eventually you get to where you believe the Word more than you believe circumstances and the negative things and your own thoughts. 
I know that that's real general, but uh, I don't know how to get more specific than that. Yes, ma'am. Um, I never understood the speaking, and you, you speak from your heart until I started receiving things here. And now I'm not speaking things to make them happen. I'm speaking them because I know that it's a reality Big in my difference. life. But for the things that I don't have that understanding on, what you were saying a minute ago about standing on those things... Um, <gasps> Sometimes, I, like my son got hurt a few days ago. It looked like he broke his finger. It was like, you know, it was just like gross. And I started speaking over it, and I'm thinking in my head, there's no way that that finger is going to, you know. So I just stopped because I thought, how insulting is that? You know, it's like I was asking. It was almost like insulting to God. You know, like I don't really believe you. Are you, could you do this? Will you do this? So I just stopped because... You know, and I'm trying to find balance between speaking on things so that, you know, and because for me, I'm, I'm really black and white. And if I don't believe it, I feel like a real jerk just saying it. You see what I'm There's saying? There's a balance. You don't need to be hypocritical and say something that you don't believe right. because you will, um, it'll, it'll confuse your heart and it's not good. But at the same time, there are times that I start in the flesh to wind up in the spirit. There's times that I don't feel like praising God. And I know that I, I, I don't feel it. And so I feel like a hypocrite. But the Bible says, bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. So even though I don't feel it, I do what the Word says. And within a very short period of time of doing it, all of a sudden the feelings come. So I don't wait until I feel you know, these things with all of my heart before I do what's right. I'll act on the Word of God. But you do need to get to where you not only are confessing it with your mouth, but believing it with your heart. It has to be a combination of those two before the power is released. Yes, sir. Uh, just a comment for what Robert said. Um, anything that anything that's worth having, you know, you can't just have it. Like I used to rollerblade. And I would always get so mad because I would practice and practice and practice, and I would throw them in my corner, and I would yell at them and just saying, you're not working for me. And finally, you know, I started being able to ride. And then I started to be able to do tricks and things like that. And it's just, uh, for the first time in my life, you know, I'm hearing from God. When I came out here, I didn't want to just go after it. You know, and it came gradually. And it's just sometimes you have to bite through, and you just have to focus on it, and then you start hearing from the Lord, and eventually, like, the Lord just takes over your life once you just give Him that time. So That's a good illustration. It's not the rollerblades that's the problem. It's the rollerblade-y. <laughs> it's not the word that's the problem. It's the word-y, or however you're supposed to say that. All right, you're dismissed. God bless you.